title of today's message is Believe Your Bible, a presuppositional defence for the faith. Remember that word, those words, believe your Bible. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says that, and he gave them apostles, prophets, evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Today we're going to talk evangelism and talk about presuppositional apologetics. For those of you who don't know, apologetics is defined as a defence for the truth of the Christian faith. We're not going around telling people that we're sorry. The term presuppositional we'll get into later. The word apologetics is derived from the Greek word apologia. In ancient times when a person was put on trial, he would give an apologia, a reasoned defence for his case. We engage in apologetics all the time. Every time you justify one of your actions, you engage in apologetics. Have you had their moments when someone may be mocking the Bible or Christianity? What do you do? Do you stay quiet? Do you go and sit somewhere else? Or do you go and reason with that person? More than likely, we'll keep walking. I remember sitting on a train opposite a gentleman and I noticed he was reading a book called The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. This guy spent all his time writing a book about a God he doesn't believe in. What a waste of time. But what proceeded from there was an interesting conversation. If someone was to ask you why you're a Christian, what would your answer be? Let's pray and get into today's message. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here today, Lord. And Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that the pastors have given me to come and share, as uh, scared as I am, Lord. Um, and I just pray, Lord, that you would open our ears and our minds and our hearts to think about um, sharing our faith and speaking to others in a way that we don't normally comprehend that we would, we would use. So, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, the culture today wants to feed everyone with the idea that religion is blind faith. In other words, you've got to be in the scientific camp, or you'll be a person of blind, stupid faith. Take your pick. Do you want to be a person of reason, science and intellect? Then you have to reject any notion of God and accept Darwinism. But what does scripture tell us? Hebrews 11.1 1, it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Two words, surety and certainty. Does that sound like a blind leap of faith? Now, what does scripture tell us about that culture? Everything goes back to the Bible. Remember, believe your Bible. Psalm 14.1, it says, The brilliant philosopher says in his heart, there is no God. No, it doesn't say that. It says, the brilliant scientist says in his heart, there is no God. No, 
How about the PhD says in his heart there is no God? No, it's the fool that says in his heart there is no God. And we will see that word fool come up as the message goes on quite often. So, when God calls people fools, is he name calling like Mr. T? You fool! <laughs> no, it's a description of their willful their willful suppression of the truth of the God they know exists. How do we determine who needs proof for God? Well, let's go to God's word to find the answer. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We're going to be going from verses 18 to 21. Our two verses that we're going to be looking at, well, two, two bits of scripture we're going to be looking at today is Romans chapter 1, 18 to 22, like I just said. But we're also going to be looking at uh, 1 Peter 3.15. So, what does Romans, Romans 1.18 say? Um, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Can you suppress something you haven't got? For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise they became fools. According to Romans 1, it's not that man doesn't have enough evidence for the existence of God. The problem is, because of sin, he suppresses the knowledge of God that he already has wired within him and goes after idols based on his own ultimate authority, which is himself. According to these verses, who needs proof for God's existence? The Christian? The atheist, the agnostic, how about the Buddhist, the Muslim, the Hindu, the tribe person in the deepest jungles of Africa? No, no one. The question we must ask ourselves is, do we believe the Bible when it says that no one needs proof for God's existence? So, since everybody knows that God exists, why do apologetics? Why defend the truth of Christianity? Well, although they know God, they don't know him in a saving way. And that's why we reason with them. And that's why we share the gospel with them. What other reasons? Well, let's go back to God's word. Jude 1.3 tells us to contend for the faith. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And of course, the champion, champion verse of Christian apologetics, 1 Peter 3.15, but in your heart, honour Christ, as, as Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So let's unpack these verses with regards to evangelism. It calls us to honour Christ as Lord. We must acknowledge the Lordship of Christ over our thinking. 
He is our ultimate authority. We are not neutral. You can't defend Christianity by giving up Christianity. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, it says, Whoever is, is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather scatters. It tells us to always be prepared to make a defence for everyone who asks for the reason for the, for the hope that is in you. See, 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us to study to show ourselves approved. We need to be prepared to answer everyone, which is why it's important, to, important for us to have teachings like this. This is not just for the atheists. It's for all worldviews outside the biblical one. You see, there are only two worldviews. The God worldview and the not God worldview. Psalm 96.5 tells us, For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. This biblical apologetic is also accompanied with a warning. It tells us to do it with gentleness and respect. Why do we need to do that? Because as you will see as we go on through this teaching, we are destroying worldviews. We are destroying belief systems. You may be talking to people that have spent years studying evolution, microbiology, science, philosophy. And we get help with this from Jesus. Jesus said in Luke 21, 15, it says, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. But we have to do it with gentleness and respect. Because what they believe, when it comes tumbling down, they won't be interested in coming to us for the gospel. They may go to the Buddhist, to the Hindu, or to the Muslim camp. Now let's determine, determine one thing from the outset. Not every situation is an apologetic situation. If you're in a conversation with an unbeliever, you should start in sharing your faith mode. If they want evidence, give them evidence. The evidence is actually on our side. Can we play the first video clip? Carbon dating can only measure in the thousands. Yeah, yeah, if you can, exactly. So, so how do you get millions? I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I don't know the facts of, like, why the... I, I'm putting my... So you're just trust, a, assuming? You're I'm, well, no, it's an assumption. Well, no, because I think man... Well, if you don't know the facts, Mark, it's just an assumption. No, but neither do you. You don't know the facts either. Okay, but, but so hey, the way is that I'm Revelation from a god that knows everything. <laughs> I had a human race of a Okay, uh, before that they were Homo erectus, Homo. What, Peking man, the Fandion man, the uh, Lucy. Yeah, all these things. All scientifically been disproved. Okay, that's, that's fine. I, I don't think so, but I mean. But, and you can say that to me, but I. Look, what do you mean by scientifically disproved? Oh, yeah, you, you don't even need the fossil record. You just need Lucy, DNA. Chimpanzee. You just need DNA. Uh, like, you just need to have a DNA. So that shows it. One of them was made up of an extinct thing. It doesn't. Okay, so the evidence is actually on our side. 
because they have no evidence for what they believe. It's just a belief system. So, if they want evidence, give them evidence. If they're willing to listen. But it's a moment that free thinker, agnostic, the atheist starts to challenge the God of the Bible who says you're nuts for believing that and seeks to put God on trial. How can a God of love send anyone to hell? You can't trust the Bible. It was written by men. Then we are no longer in sharing our faith mode. Now we are in defending our faith mode. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever seek to prove God's existence. Does Genesis 1 say, in the beginning, here's a really good argument for God? <laughs> no, in the beginning, God. Why? Because as Romans 1 tells us, everybody already knows it. Think about this. Where do you find evidence is mostly used? In a court of law. When we give evidences to the unbeliever, where's God? He's in the criminal's box. Where's the unbeliever? He's where God should be, in the judge's seat. God is the judge, and it's the unbeliever that is on trial. We should not be mistaken about this very important truth when we defend the only worldview that begins with God. See, evidences are great for believers. People have been saved through evidences. It can bolster our faith, but we do not use it to put the Lord on trial. We do not try the Lord like Pilate did. We submit to him. You see, it's not about the evidence. A court case can be won or lost irrespective of the truth. The person with the most compelling evidence usually wins a case. Think about it. On the face of it, we as Christians believe in some things that don't make a whole lot of sense. We believe that a man was dead for three days and came back to life. We believe that a man was in the belly of a fish for three days. We believe that a snake talked. We believe that a donkey talked. Now, if you deny the existence of God, that stuff is nuts. It's absurd. And I get that. What amount of evidence can you give to the unbeliever that's going to prove to them that a donkey talked? Why do we believe that? On the authority of God's word. Because that is our ultimate authority. Remember, believe your Bible. If God brought the world into existence by his word, why does anyone think that these trivial actions are difficult for God? The Apostle Paul made the same argument before Agrippa in Acts 26.8. Uh, 26, why is it considered incredible among you people if God raises the dead? What does the Bible say? 1 Corinthians 2.14 For the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, for he is unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This sermon is on presuppositional apologetics. What are they? Think about this. We all get the same evidence, but we will examine the evidence subject to what we already believe according to our pre-beliefs, according to the beliefs that we take to the evidence, the assumptions that we have before we get to the evidence. Pre, before, assumption, supposition. Pre-supposition. And we all have them. And it's these presuppositions that form our worldview.
Think about this. Let me explain a bit more. Think about this. If you didn't have presuppositions, pre-beliefs, if you didn't presuppose anything, how would you even begin your day? Imagine waking up in the morning. You don't assume anything. You would have to start from scratch, deciding what you are going to believe about life and about yourself. Do we do that? No, we assume them right from the outset. The, re the reliability of our senses. We, we presuppose that what we see, taste, touch, smell is reliable. Do we sit down and wonder about these things before we start our day? Your memory. We presuppose that our memory is reliable. You believe that what you remember actually happened. Now here's a story about presuppositions. There was a man who thought he was dead. This was, as, this was of great distress to his family. They tried argument after argument to convince him that he was not dead. Eventually they took him to a doctor. The doctor took a look at him and said, Do dead men bleed? The guy thought about it for a minute. Hmm. Their heart's not pumping. Blood's not flowing through their veins. No, dead men don't bleed. So the, t the doctor took out a pin and stuck him in the finger. And blood started coming out. To which he said, well, what do you know? Dead men do bleed. <laughs> you see, he had a presupposition, a pre-belief that told him that he, he was dead. No amount of evidence was going to change that. The unbeliever will not be persuaded by mere evidences. Why? Because if he's sticking to his worldview, his presupposition, he will seek to explain away every bit of evidence or fact that you present. It's not that people don't have enough evidence. Their presuppositions tell them what to make of the evidence. I hope this is clear. What we will not attempt to do is give evidence to the unbeliever in order to lead them to God. What we need to do is to challenge their presuppositions, their pre-beliefs, their worldview. Nearly every argument about the existence of God falls into one of three categories. Morality, science and laws of logic. It's our position that you can't make sense of these apart from the Christian God. So what we will need to do when we're speaking to someone is listen very carefully to our opponent's objections to Christianity. When they make their objections, look at what's beneath them, look at what they're standing on. Do they have a foundation or a basis for their objection? Does it make sense given their worldview? When it doesn't, we need to point that out to the unbeliever that they are borrowing from Christianity to argue against Christianity. They are like the sceptic of, of air who has to use air to argue against air. So let's unpack that. Let's start with morality. This is probably the easiest one to begin with. Morality. They may make the claim that there's too much evil in, in the world for an all-good God to exist. The question for the unbeliever is, if there is no God, by what absolute moral standard do you call anything evil? Morality is derived from the nature of God. 
When the unbeliever raises a moral objection against Christianity, they are actually actually borrowing the absolute standard of morality from Christianity and actually proving that God exists. See, if we are just evolved bags of primordial slime, the result of time and chance, then you don't get good and evil, right and wrong. Whatever happens, happens. To make a judgment about evil demands an absolute moral standard by which to judge those things to be right or wrong. And that's God. The next time you're sitting with an unbeliever and he makes a complaint about any injustice that they've received at the hands of another person, or they have a complaint about an immoral act that they've seen on television, murderers, terrorism, guess what, Mr. Unbeliever? Who cares? See, these things only make sense in a Christian worldview. Why? Because we are created in God's moral image, just like they are. His word tells us not to murder. It tells us to love your neighbour as yourself. So we can make sense of morality given our worldview, because we stand on God's word as our foundation. They may say they don't need God for their moral standard. Man has, to, has the right to live by his own laws. But says who? This kind of thinking is arbitrary and will lead to absurd consequences. Would the person have any disagreement if I decided to win the debate with him by shooting him? <laughs> How about what is good is what brings the most happiness to the most people? But this is also arbitrary. Why should anyone care about the happiness of another person if we are just evolved animals? How about morality is what benefits society? Well, Hitler's society killed five million Jews. Was that the correct morality? In order to make any moral complaint, you have to borrow from Christianity and therefore proving that God exists. So the scientific argument. All science is based on the, assu the assumption that nature is uniform. The future will be like the past. Do scientists believe this? Every scientist expects nature to be uniform, that the physical laws are not going to change. The question is, for the unbeliever, why is that the case? They assume that the laws of science are going to operate tomorrow just like they did today. Why? What's their answer? Well, because it's operated like that in the past. Can you spot the absurdity here? Appealing to the past to prove the future does not prove the future. It only confirms what you already know about the past. When you got up this morning, did you worry about gravity holding you down today like it did yesterday? No. You, pre you presuppose that the laws of physics have not changed. How does an unbelieving scientist know anything about the future? Do you know why? Because they know the God who controls the future. That's how they know about the future. If you believe in a random chance universe that's constantly changing, constantly evolving, do you think that you can do science? Absolutely not. How does an unbeliever even know what's going to happen two seconds from now? 
what they'll have to do is abandon their worldview and step onto the Christian worldview. See, the Christian worldview can make sense of science, but the unbeliever cannot. Every time they jump off of their worldview and jump onto the Christian worldview to make their point, they're actually proving that God exists. Science can prove a lot of things, but do you know what it cannot prove? The fundamental assumption, assumption of science. For that you need God. You see, science is not against Christianity. Science can only be done if Christianity is true. Now we as Christians believe in a God that keeps the nature uniform such that we can do science. Well, back to God's word. Genesis 8.22 While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. In God, all things hold together. Hebrews 1.3 He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. How about laws of logic? Laws of logic, the correct principle of correct reasoning. We use logic every day. You can speak to someone without using logic. Well, let's examine logic. Logic is immaterial. You cannot touch one because they're abstract. They are not made of matter. You can't buy a pound of logic. And they are universal. They are true for all people everywhere. And logic does not change. They apply at all times. People may make the, the logical objection to the truth of the Bible. They may say, look at all those logical contradictions in the Bible. I'm sure you've heard that one before. But what are they assuming when they make that objection? They're assuming that there are universal, immaterial, unchanging laws that forbid contradictions. We as Christians can tell them why contradictions are wrong according to our worldview contradiction amount to lying and God cannot lie and he tells us not to lie you see could I have a a wallet in my pocket and not in my pocket at the same time and in the same sense you cannot see logical laws make sense in our worldview we have a standard of correct reasoning, and that's God. But how does the atheist account for universal, immaterial, unchanging laws of non-contradictions in a random chance world only made of matter? Christian, Christians believe in a God who's universal, who's not made of matter, and who does not change. Logical laws make sense in our worldview. When your opponent makes any objections to Christianity, they are borrowing the foundation of logic from Christianity and actually proving that God exists. Just ask them why contradictions are wrong according to their worldview. Can we play clip number two, please, Pastor Lord? Made out of material. Not They're not, are they? So you do believe in things you can't see. 
So he says that he believes in things that he doesn't believe in things he cannot see. You need to be able to touch it and feel it for him to know that it exists. But he believes in laws of logic. You can't touch a law of logic. They're immaterial. So, we've shown the unbeliever that they can't make sense of morality, science, or laws of logic without borrowing from the Christian worldview, exposing the fact that they know that God exists. But what if that person you're engaging in refuses to acknowledge that their worldview has collapsed? They refuse to accept what is blatantly obvious. Well, we're going to have to drop the bomb on them. And this ain't just any bomb. This is an atomic bomb. This is a, a nuclear bomb. Check it. Unless a person starts with God, they can't know anything. You may be thinking, what? Unless a person starts with God, they can't know anything. Why do I say that? Now, that's a bold claim. So you'd think such a fundamental truth would be taught somewhere in the Bible. How could we have missed it? Proverbs 1.7 The fear of the Lord is a beginning of knowledge. Colossians 2.2 2 and 3 Which in Christ in, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What those verses are saying is that unless you start with God, you couldn't know anything. Because unless you know everything or have revelation from someone who does know everything, you couldn't know anything. Who knows everything? Only God knows everything. Consider the size of the universe. How much knowledge do you think you have of all the available knowledge? Wouldn't it be insanely arrogant to claim that you have 1% of all the knowledge in the universe? For the sake of this illustration, let's consider that you have 1% of all, the no all knowledge available. Would it not make sense to conclude that out of the 99% that you do not know, something could contradict what you think you know. Of course it could. You have to say that because you don't know the 99%. <laughs> so again, we reach a conclusion that in order to know anything, you would have to know everything or have revelation from someone who knows everything. Again, who knows everything? So it follows that in order to know anything, you would have to start with revelation from God. Welcome to the Christian worldview. Now here's a problem. You put that to the unbeliever. If you can be wrong about everything you claim to know, it therefore logically follows that you can't know anything because you could be wrong. Let me further illustrate this. If I said to you the height of this building is 100 feet tall, but I could be wrong. Do I know it? No, not if I could be wrong. You cannot know something to be true if it could be false. The problem is, how can you know anything if you could be wrong about everything? Do you see that? How can you know anything if you can be wrong about everything? If you could be wrong about everything, Mr. Unbeliever, you've just given up knowledge. 
If you could be wrong about everything, Mr. Unbeliever, you've just given up knowledge. What is knowledge? Knowledge is justified true belief. Can you know something to be true if it can be false? No. At this point, the conversation is actually over. Because he's admitted he can't know anything. He's given up knowledge. But the point is, Mr. Unbeliever, you do know some things. I'm not saying you don't know anything. You do know some things. You can't live without knowledge. But the fact that you do know some things is proof that you would make your appeal to one who knows everything. Because unless you knew everything or had revelation from someone who does know everything, you couldn't know anything. Because what we don't know can always contradict what we think we know. God has revealed himself to all of us in such a way that we can know some things for certain. We can know some things for certain. The unbeliever knows some things for certain. You see, everyone knows that God exists. Just as it says in Romans 1.19. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God has made it evident to them. Knowledge rests on truth. Truth comes from God. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Not a truth, the truth. John 17.17 17 says, your word is truth. Not your word is true, your word is truth. Truth starts with God. Where do you get truth from without God? You put that question to an unbeliever and they'll struggle. Because apart from God, you can't answer the question. They will tell you something that is true. They may say truth is relative or there is no absolute truth. No absolute truth? Is that true? Just made an absolute statement. Is it absolutely true that there is no absolute truth? You see, God or garbage. If people say that truth is relative, ask them if two and two can be five. I, I choose. Can we play video three, please, Pastor Rob? Clip about absolutes. For there to be an absolute moral standard, there has to be an absolute moral standard giver. Yeah, no, but, is, but I don't believe in absolutes. I don't believe in absolutes. Is that absolutely true? Would you go back Hold and kill Is that absolutely Would you go back and kill Hold Is that absolutely true that you don't believe in absolutes? <laughs> no, you can't. It's not true. It's not true. No, no, no. I, I understand where you're coming from there, but I, I don't believe in absolutes. And maybe in certain Is that absolutely true that you don't believe in absolutes? Well, okay, so, so, so come on, wait. It, it destroys itself. No, 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 no. I understand. You, no, I understand. You, you, you turn that back around, but I'm saying I don't believe in absolutes, okay? That's, that's, a, that's a fact. <laughs> I don't believe in absolutes, and that's a fact. Can you see the nonsense of atheism? God or garbage? See, truth is not relative, it's absolute. 
As Christians, we can answer the question, truth is what conforms to the mind of God. Truth is what God says is true. So how do we defend our faith with people that know for certain that God exists? We need a methodology. Yeah, that's the word. I don't know why I keep putting big words in there. <laughs> we are going to use a two-move checkmate. First move. That's not what the Bible says. No matter what the person says that disagrees with the scriptures, that's not what the Bible says. You believe in Noah's Ark? Yeah. Are you kidding me? All those animals on the boat. You believe that a donkey talked? Yeah. The Bible says it happened. But I don't believe the Bible. So you don't believe the Bible's true? No. Where do you get truth from without God? They would most likely believe in an evolutionary worldview. That our thoughts are just a byproduct of chemicals firing in our evolved brains. It's just brain fizz. The Christian brain is fizzing theistically. And the atheist brain is fizzing atheistically. <laughs> if we are just advanced chemical reactions engaging over which one is speaking truth, it would be on par with getting a bottle of Dr Pepper and a bottle of Mountain Dew, shaking them, opening them up and asking which chemical reaction is producing truthies and which chemical reaction is producing falsifies. Chemical reactions do not produce truth. For truth, you need God. Would you go to a debate between Dr. Pepper and Mountain Dew? No, it's just fizz. You put that question to the unbeliever, and they will say, well, that's a crazy question. That's right, it is a crazy question. You see, if evolution is true, you don't get truth, true and false. You get brain fizz. And that person wants to tell you that the Bible ain't true. Where do you get truth from without God? John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, Mr. Unbeliever, could you be wrong about everything you claim to know? 99.9% of unbelievers will say yes. Now, if the unbeliever claims that they could be wrong about everything they claim to know, it follows that they can't know anything at all. Because they could be wrong. They can't even know that they can't even know anything at all. It's absurd. Play number four, please, Pastor Foolishness. Can you be wrong about everything you know? No, no, I don't know. No, you know nothing. So why are you making knowledge? Why are you making knowledge? I'm making knowledge. You said God doesn't exist, so that's a knowledge quote. No one's shown me that God exists in the bathroom. Show me the quality of the bathroom. So, so, is it a little knowledge base to say I know nothing? No, no, I know nothing. 
I absolutely know that I can't know nothing. This is the folly of atheism. The believer does know things, but they are suppressing their only justification for knowledge. See, if you reject the, the biblical God, biblical presuppositions, your worldview is reduced to absurdity. It's foolishness, the Bible calls it. That's the option. Jesus Christ or absurdity. Scripture tells us in Romans 11.36, yes, God made all things, and everything continues through him and for him. To God be the glory forever. Amen. Does all things include evidence? Does all things include science and logic? You see, they appeal to science, morality and reasoning, but they can't have those things in their worldview. They can only have them in ours. And they will constantly use our worldview to make sense of theirs. We need to point that out to the unbeliever. Every claim they make, they're actually jumping off of their own worldview and jumping onto ours. Because those things can't make sense according to their worldview. You see, the scripture tells us that there were two men. One built his house on the rock and one built his house on the sand. The Christian worldview is built on the rock. But all other worldviews are built on sinking sand. You see, if sand is beneath you, it can't support you. 1 Corinthians 1.20 says, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? You see, our goal is not to win arguments. But we need to show that the unbeliever their need of a saviour. And ask, would you consider yourself to be a good person? If we've been speaking to your intellect for a long time, yeah? Can we address your conscience for a moment? My conscience? Yeah. Would you consider yourself to be a good person? It's a tough one, that. I've died to, I've, I've, I try, but I'm a, a person that has done bad things. How, how many lies have you told in your life, Mark? A lot of lies. What do you call people that tell lies, Mark? Liars. Have you ever taken anything that doesn't belong to you in the whole of your life? The value doesn't matter. Uh, my brother, maybe, yeah. <laughs> what do you call people that take things that don't belong to them? Thieves. Now, Jesus said if you look to lust after someone, you commit adultery in your heart. Have you ever looked to a woman with sexual desire? My girlfriend. Okay, cool. You're not married to her, though? No. Have you ever taken God's name in vain? Oh, my G-O-D, G-O-D, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the time, mate. Yeah, God, you don't believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> now, listen to this part. <laughs> listen to this part. Yeah, yeah. By own admission, mate, yeah. you're a liar, a thief, a blasphemer, and a adulterer at heart. Can you say... The Bible says... Can you say oh, no, I'm, I'm as bad as you, mate. Oh, yeah, sorry, mate. Sorry. We should have said that at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're the man at once. We're probably worse, yeah? So by your own admission, you are lying, feeding, blasphemous, and adulterous heart. Now, the Bible says the point in, whether you believe or not, it's the point in man wants to die and then the judgment. If God judged you by that standard on the day of judgment, would you be innocent or guilty, Mark? Uh, 
come to the conclusion that you can only make sense of things if you start with God. The unbeliever has no standing point for any argument. We can go and sit with the philosopher. We can go and sit with the microbiologist. And we can absolutely dismantle their worldview. All we've got to do is watch what they're standing on with every claim they make. Now this has probably gone over a few people's head because this is, you know, it took me couple of years to get my head around it of, of studying and stuff but once you get this there will be no rebuttal from this the atheist will have nowhere to go and it works with all other worldviews this is actually an hour and a half teaching condensed into an hour so we can deal with the Muslims, we can deal with the Buddhists we can deal with the Scientologists we can deal with the Mormons if we use these principles um, we might unpack a few of those things in a uh, community group next week things we didn't get to talk about but what I'm asking you is to believe your Bible. When it says that they know that God exists, believe it. Will it make sense for me to come here and say, you know what, today I'm not going to talk about proving that God exists. I'm going to prove to you that my wife exists. Or I'm going to prove to you that your mother exists. Do you need anyone to prove to you that your mother exists? No. Do we need anyone to prove to us that God exists? Do they need anyone to prove that God exists? God or absurdity? Thank you. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.